Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Well, hello there and welcome to this week's edition of the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. And it's Bathurst week. What more needs to be said? This week, we'll be tackling the burning questions heading into the 2021 running of the great race. And by we, I mean me and a co-driver that I would happily give up my preferred pedal positioning for, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, burning question number one, have you contracted Bathurst fever? I am Bathurst positive. That's... that's that's very good news. Is it? Is it a burning? Is it really a burning question? Is it a burning sensation? That's uh, that's confidential medical information that I'll keep between me and the people close to me. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, look, let's crack on with some uh, with some real burning questions. Bathurst one thousand this week. It's here. It feels a bit weird. The fact that well, particularly over here in Perth, it's like one million degrees on on Bathurst week. It is definitely the height of summer. But anyway, it is Bathurst week. Stefan, what are you looking forward to the most this week? Well, probably what I'm looking forward to the most is is the fact that it's going to be a proper Bathurst one thousand with a with a proper crowd. I was there last year, and it was such a strange vibe. Like it was great that we got the race in, obviously, but you know, you sort of take for granted how amazing the atmosphere is there with all the fans and the sponsor activations and the merch stands and the food and everything that goes with all that. And uh, to to have the race on with 90% of that missing was bizarre. Everything about the weekend from when you walk into the track in the morning to obviously doing sort of our jobs in the paddock as journalists, it was kind of easier to do because you could, you could um, – speak to everybody that you needed to without uh, too much distraction, but uh, it just definitely wasn't the same Bathurst 1000 that we that we know and love. And uh, the strangest of all was going to the top of the mountain. I went on Saturday to watch a bit of the Super 2 race and for campgrounds to be empty, spectator mounds to be empty, it was kind of like being at a, at a rally stage because there wasn't even a PA system, obviously, because there's no fans to, to commentate to. So between the cars going past, you could just hear the birds chirping in the trees. It was uh, it was very bizarre. Were you allowed to go to the top of the mountain? Didn't Shane Van Gisbergen get in trouble for going for a look up there last year? It was closed off, wasn't it? I do things in a bit less of a high-profile way than uh, young Shane. So uh, <laughs> anyway, what are you looking forward to, uh, Andrew? Uh, I, think, I think it's the Gen 3 cars. We're actually finally going to see these Gen 3 cars. What I have to say is that, you know, Supercars has done a very good job of of keeping the actual look of the cars under wraps, maybe because they're being finished and they're only just being finished, I don't know, but they have done a good job of keeping it under wraps. And I, I sort of I know it's funny I say that because had I had the opportunity to get hold of a photo and publish it to the world, I absolutely would have grabbed it with both hands. But um, we don't really know exactly what the cars 
are going to look like. We've seen kind of that teaser of the bodies. We know the body shapes are going to look a lot more like the road cars than than the current Mustang does, um, but we haven't seen it with all the aero stuff on them and all that sort of the, the fun bits yet. So I think I'm looking forward to, um, I think it's on Friday, is that right? Yeah, Friday morning launch of the cars. There you go. On Friday, we're finally going to see Gen 3 cars. We're going to get a look into the future of our sport. It's important. You know, Gen 3 is important for our sport. I don't think through all the debates of what's right and what's wrong and whether they should have paddles or sticks. I know you want you want me to bring that up in every single episode, Steph. And like with, through all that, the one thing I think everyone agrees on is that, you know, the, the, the next – Evolution of our cars uh, is important for the sport and, and making sure that, you know, this is the right product for the next phase of the championship is important for the survival of the teams and everyone that works in the sport, us included. So, yeah, I think that's um, – I'll be, I'll be eagerly awaiting Friday morning to get, a, to get a first look at these cars. Yeah, from what we have seen so far, I'm, I'm pretty confident that they're going to look amazing when they're launched. Uh, probably for me, the – the thing that I'm looking forward to about the Gen 3 stuff is actually hearing the cars run because there's new motors as well as mm. the new bodies. Um, so exactly what that sounds like. We've been so used to the current Gen motors for uh, for such a long time that that's going to be an important part of of the Gen 3 product. All right, let's let's cut straight into it. Bathurst is all about mm-hmm. who wins the race on Sunday. Let's talk yep. top contenders. Who do you see as that very top tier of uh, cars that are going to go up there with a big chance of winning? So I reckon there's there's five cars in the in the top tier. So um, obviously we've got to have our reigning winners there, Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander. Um, they're number one. You could even make an argument for them being in their own little little category right at the top, given the form that Giz has been in um, this year. But yeah, definitely, but definitely that car, and definitely the sister Triple Eight car of Jamie Winkup and Craig Lowndes. Um, yeah, you, you've got to have both of those cars there. I would say uh, the number 11, Dick Johnson Racing car of uh, Anton Di Pasquale and Tony D'Alberto. I think even before this last sort of run of form for Anton, you would always kind of – it's hard not to have the lead DJR car uh, in, the, in that group of cars that at Bathurst could go and get the job done, but particularly based on the way that car's been going over the past uh, month of racing at Sydney Motorsport Park. Um, Chaz Mostert and Lee Holdsworth, uh, just such a strong pairing, if nothing else. Um, it's kind of a little bit of a roller coaster, Sydney Motorsport Park for Chaz in terms of outright pace. But yeah, that's just such a, uh, you know, Lee was number one draft pick of the co drivers this year. So, um, so that's just a very, very strong pairing that you've got to have right in the top. And then Cam Waters and, uh, and, and, and James Moffat, um, I think that just based on last year, the speed that that car showed up there, earlier this year, the speed that that car showed up there and the fact that, you know, Cam has sort of developed into one of the top drivers in the category, they've got to be in that um, in that lead group as well. What do you reckon? Am I missing anyone? No, I think if you had to pick five, they're, they're the ones that uh, are red hot chances. If you look at the form from last October's Bathurst 1000, and from February's trip to Bathurst, it's unusual that we have a uh, form guide for Bathurst already in this calendar year. Those uh, those cars should tick all the boxes for for car speed and the driver lineups. Obviously, the co-drivers are such a big part of of the Bathurst enduro, and it's it's such a track position race now. It sort of se- sounds funny to say, but um, 
it's it's really hard to pass, unfortunately. So you need a co-driver that can hold position. They can't bleed to the other co-drivers because the main driver, the days of the big boy getting in the car and picking up six spots in the final stint is is gone. So you need you need a really good co-driver. I think we saw seven of the top ten started their co-drivers last year, top ten on the grid. Um, and one car that didn't was Scotty McLaughlin's car with Tim Slade, and it probably hurt them then in the back end of the day. So you need someone you can really trust with that. And I think all of these combos, the the co-drivers are a top class. The the two triple eight pairings are the only ones that actually carry over from last year, which is pretty unusual. But James Moffat was at Tickford last year just in a different car. And of course Tony D'Alberto was at um DJR or DJR Team Penske, but in a different car as well. So the only truly new combo there really is is Lee Holdsworth with with Chaz. And even there, they know each other really well from Tickford. So clearly, Chaz already knows what what Lee likes in the car, uh, which which should help them. And we've seen walking to Andretti United. I mean, that as an entity that started in 2017, and they've been on the podium at Bathurst every single year since. So they know how to find their way to the podium in the big race. And they actually have Grant McPherson there, who was the engineer on the winning car at Triple Eight last year, heading up the performance arm of that that team too. So they've only strengthened themselves from this time last year. So you'd reckon those those five cars are going to be going to be pretty hard to beat. The sort of subplot amongst all that probably is how the two triple eight cars go against each other. Um, how do you sort of see that battle playing out? Because it's been a big talking point um, through those City Motorsport Park rounds we saw. Yeah, it definitely it definitely has been. I think you, you hit the nail on the on the head before when you mentioned about track position. So you know you would imagine that they're both going to qualify near the front, and it could be a pretty frantic battle for track position between those cars. If you look at how much you can lose out if there's a safety car and you have to stack and and all that sort of stuff as well. So um, yeah, look, I, I think it is going to be interesting. I guess. You talked about, you know, starting your co-drivers. That's potentially an advantage for the 97, I would say. Garth probably a little bit stronger than Craig on outright pace. Is that fair, would you say? Yeah, I'd, I'd think so, a little bit. Obviously, Craig didn't get much of a go in the race the last year, did he? He did the first stint, but that was his only one because Jamie crashed in uh, in his first stint. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I, think, I think that's obviously what it's going to come down to. It, it could get... Pretty tasty. I mean, qualifying is obviously going to be a big one. Do you, if you're not the lead Triple Eight car, do you try something different um, and put your uh, primary driver in for the first stint to try and maybe get a little bit of track position against your teammate? But then again, you know, let's imagine that the 97 qualifies better. Does Jamie Winkup really want to be out there racing Garth Tander? Um, does Garth Tander really want to be racing his team boss next year? That's <laughs> just to throw that little complication into it. Uh, again as well. So, yeah, look, it, it's going to um, – that's going to be a fascinating battle because it's going to be it's going to be all about track position. And, like, we can talk about that, you know, for every car in the field. As as you said, you know, it's – it's that is what's going to win the race. Sounds like a very obvious thing to say, but um, it's going to be all about, you know, where you are because getting past is going to be very hard. Just to circle back for one second, like you, your description of how, you know, WAU is, has built on itself and all that sort of stuff was, was was excellent. And obviously they do tend to go very well at Bathurst. They know how to eke out a result across the whole day. Where do you put them at car speed? But what did you, can you take anything out of Sydney Motorsport Park in terms of the number 25 in terms of actual outright speed and what it might look like at Bathurst? 
It's it's obviously uh, whenever you're looking at the last four rounds and they haven't been right up there in the dry at least, it's not a good sign going to Bathurst. But it was so unusual to have four rounds obviously at the same track and we sort of saw over that month that um, the form didn't really swing too much week to week. The cars that rolled out good in week one were, were pretty good for the lot. So, yeah, it's uh, it counts against them, that recent form, the Walkinshaw guys. But um, the fact that you can go back to to your February settings if you need to, um, which arguably, you know, February track conditions probably more similar um, than last October to what we're going to get this weekend being uh, first week of December. So, yeah, it's we're assuming they're going to be there, but uh, you never really know till they've uh, they've gone through the sessions and we see their pace. So, who's your pick of the Triple Eight cars then? Who's going to get it done in the first stint and set up a win, or is that not going to be that important? Well, yeah, it's it's going to be important, like you said, um, qualifying and and the magic word being being double stack, unfortunately. So on paper, I, I would think the ninety seven car, but naturally it could go either way. It's it's unfortunate with those seven compulsory pit stop rules still being there. It sort of puts everyone in a box on strategy, so you can't really get too off sequence. I mean, if there's a yellow, you just have to pit and tick off the stop and cop the stack if you're behind. So that's why, I, like, I think Triple Eight are racing themselves as much as anyone else, which could be could be really tasty. And and the other sort of element in in the Triple Eight garage is obviously the fact that um, it's Jamie's last round as a full time driver, and so how he sort of handles the moment. Like, obviously, he's a very experienced player, but he doesn't like that sort of fanfare. I mean, in 2018, yeah. he was talking, about, he was referring to the Craig Lowndes retirement stuff as the Lowndes funeral tour. Um, and and even this year with with the PR announcement of of Jamie's impending retirement, it was buried underneath the news about um, Tony Quinn buying into the team and a couple of other things, which I think was at Jamie's request that he didn't sort of want all the in- attention about him. But a Bathurst, you you won't be able to escape it. I mean, there's even a bridge on Mountain Strait with Cheers J Dub written on it, so he's going to see it. You'd think about a hundred times. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> how that sort of plays out. And then obviously the, the subplot of we saw at Sydney, um, you probably can't necessarily rely on him. If, if the team needs to do something to maximise their overall chances, the, uh, the radio is going to be pretty useless. So, yeah, all that makes the Triple Eight garage alone a pretty fascinating place. See, how good is that, but that's See, if, if he just folded in Sydney and not and not stood his ground, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't be talking about this potential for drama. And that's what that's what motor racing's all about, Stefan. That's see, this is this all plays into my argument. The world needs more rogues like you and Jamie. That's uh, that's for sure. <laughs> I guess that is- speaking of unpredictable things. Tickford, you sort of mentioned about we, we were talking about walking chores and not being that strong at Sydney, but it should probably be mentioned that they uh, were a bit uh, bit ropey there as well. They sort of got it together as, as it went on. Cam had a good run there in that last one, but do you think that they're really going to be as strong as they were last year at Bathurst? Are they going to be able to take it to the likes of Triple Eight on pace? That is that is a very, very good question, and I guess the answer is not too dissimilar to, to kind of what it was with the number 25 car that, you know, like you have to – Sydney Sydney Motorsport Park is is a very specific track. You know, if you're not right in your window, you, you're nowhere near it. There's kind of no middle ground there. So um, they should have half an idea of how to make that car go quick 
at Bathurst. Cam was really quick there back in February. So look, I, I think they probably they probably uh, can bounce back. Um, with that car, there was sort of, you know, maybe there's a few little bonuses like the fact that like Jack LeBrock had a pretty good Sydney Motorsport Park run compared to his teammates, um, particularly compared to some of the other rounds. So, you know, he's maybe he's coming in with a bit of form and, 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 and they can kind of all collectively bring a bit more to the table and make sure they do find a window and, and that that lead car can be reasonably strong. So look, I, I, I certainly, you know, that the, the tough part is, Based on what we saw at Sydney, I kind of wouldn't be overly surprised if it went either way, which might sound a bit mean. But, you know, like if they, if they went out and, and, and Cam is lightning quick from the start and he puts the thing, you know, deep into the shootout and runs second or third last and qualifies in the top on the top two rows, that absolutely wouldn't surprise me at all. But I equally wouldn't be surprised if they really struggle when they just sneak into the shootout or they just miss out and they end up 12th or 13th on the grid or something like that. So um, I think they definitely can bounce back. I wouldn't, if I was a Tickford fan and a Cam Waters fan, I wouldn't be sitting there going, oh, no, they're going to really struggle just because they struggled at Sydney Motorsport Park. But um, they kind of, hopefully they can build on that that little bit of form they had towards the end of the Sydney swing and go there with, with some form and not kind of uh, end up down whatever sort of garden path that they seem to definitely end up at times uh, in Sydney over the last few weeks. So that's that. That's I would put that in that same sort of category as as the as the Chas Mostert car. As you know, it'll be fascinating to see how it kind of goes. Absolute contenders if it all works, um, but yeah, it's kind of it's kind of got to work. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Like I fully expect Car Six to be up there, Cam Waters. James Moffat, it's probably uh, it's probably their only shot, really, to be blunt, at the outright win. Um, Will Davison, as a co-driver last year, was a good trump card for them. Obviously, that was pretty unusual circumstances that he was available. Um, but James Moffat was exceptional last year in Jack LeBrock's car, and he was actually quicker than, yep. than Jack was, which is very rare for a, for a co-driver. Um, some people were surprised that Thomas Randall didn't get put in, um, in Cam's car. Because of uh, the fact that you know he's done some wild cards, he's contracted full time to Tickford next year. But I think uh, on the back of James's performance uh, in that in that LeBrock car last year at Bathurst, it was done pretty quickly that Tickford maybe thought they were going to lose James to another team, and, and they'd promised him to go in that uh, in that monster car. So I, I think that's a pretty good pairing. The, probably the the car that's not a Tickford car, but kind of is, is that. Um, the Tim Slade, Tim Blanchard cool drive car, which um, going on mm-hmm. Slade's form in February in that car. But also Tim was Tim was actually pretty good in the race last year in that 17. He kind of looked not so good because he was up against the primaries in his last stint, but overall he was he was very good. So um, I think that's a cheeky chance at, at definitely a shootout and a half reasonable result if um, if Timmy Blanchard can hold up his end of the bargain. But I guess that's now we're getting into sort of the the best of the rest, um, almost smoky sort of territory. Who do you sort of see as uh, as leading that next bunch? All right, so I reckon if we look at that next bunch, and you've sort of got to take a little bit of Sydney Motorsport Park form, and you've sort of got to take a little bit of previous back, uh, Bathurst form and that sort of stuff. So I, I, I reckon sort of leading that group is the number eight Brad Jones racing car. So uh, Nick Perkett and Dale Wood, interesting driver dynamic there, given some of the 
um, friction there's been between those guys uh, in the past. But, you know, Nick, Nick seems like he's in really good form. He seems like something that you touched on last week that he's kind of taken the fact that he's had this slightly controversial, slightly awkward breakup with the team in his stride. They all seem to have knuckled down and got on with it. So there's always this thing about, you know, even in bad years, BJR cars tend to be pretty good at Bathurst, even though they've never actually gone and won the thing. They tend to be pretty good there. So um, Dale's a, you know, professional quality co-driver capable of doing the job. Um, so, yeah, look, I'd have them uh, in the sort of – in the best of the rest group. I, it's hard to go past Will Brown. Um He's partnered with Jack Perkins in the uh, in the number nine Erebus car, like fantastic form at Sydney Motorsport Park. Really seems to be coming into his own as a race car driver, and you know the big stage. What a great opportunity to go and and build on that. So uh, and and a chance for him to sort of uh, maybe uh, clean the slate after he had a bit of a shunt at Bathurst uh, the February round earlier this year. So I'm guessing he's going to want to. Uh, sort of go and make amends for that in a way. And I sort of feel like he's the sort of personality that, you know, won't dwell on something like that, won't let it sort of, won't focus too much on it, but will have it in the back of his mind to go, hey, let's go and do a, do a good job and do the things we need to do to get that off people's minds and and and, and sort of start a new chapter in the Will Brown Bathurst story. Um, and then the, the number 17 as well, uh, Will Davison, Alex Davison. Um, that car obviously just wasn't as quick as the number 11 at the four rounds at Sydney, that's that goes without saying. Um, Will had one good shot to win a race, you know, had a technical issue that perhaps cost him, uh, well, definitely cost him a shot at that and perhaps did actually cost him a win, uh, uh, hard to say. But, you know, that car is going to be there or thereabouts. You definitely wouldn't put it past Will uh, to be in the hunt, in the shootout, potentially, you know, a fair way into the shootout. So, um, I think that that's a car you, you have to have it sort of behind the eleven in the pecking order, just based on 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 the recent pace. But um, I think that's a car that still deserves to be in that best of the rest sort of group. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think that um, the seventeen shouldn't be definitely shouldn't be ruled out. But again, it's it's the problem if you're the second car in the team on the road early, you're sort of going to face that stacking problem throughout. So it'd take a bit to overcome that. Uh, car eight, you talk about Nick Perkat. He did an amazing job last year in the shootout. Um, remember, he did a great lap. I think he was about P4 and then unfortunately got um, DSQ'd for being underweight. But you would expect him to be quick. He's very good at Bathurst. But the reliability is probably just a little question mark on that car. They've had some steering mm. rack dramas at Bathurst yep. before. Woody should be quick. Um, whether he can be consistent enough, you'd hope so. But that's clearly the, the challenge for all the co-drivers, isn't it, to be not only on the pace, but consistent mistake-free throughout. The two Erebus cars are probably, for me, the, the next the next ones outside of those top five we talked about earlier, and in particular, Will Brown and Jack Perkins. A little bit over the Brody Kostecki, David Russell car, but not by much. And even the the Will versus Brody quali and, and all of that is going to be pretty interesting. Erebus are in a good yeah. position that even though they've got two rookies, those guys had both done Bathurst last year with them as co-drivers and then fortunately got to do the February Bathurst this year that, that everyone in the field did, the main guys. So, yeah, you'd expect those cars to be uh, pretty competitive. Brody was a big headline last year for how hard he raced people, um, but it should be sort of remembered that there was primary guys trying to pass him and he was a fair bit down on straight line for, for whatever reason. So, 
he'll he'll hold his own, especially if he's got a car fast enough to do it. So, yeah, all, all of those um, all of those sort of jokers there um, could play a big big role in the race. So, do you have that um, car ninety nine maybe in just the next kind of tier down, like maybe with the team eighteen cars, maybe with James Courtney and and Tom Randall? Like that's a that's a heck of a pairing, you know. If Tickford do tune some speed out of their cars, that's a heck of a pairing there. Is that? Are they the sort of cars that you might slot into the into the just under the roughy kind of? I don't even know. Would have we got a name for this category? Think of think. Come on, think of something on the spot. What do you got? It's uh, yeah. I mean, the further down the field you sort of look here, you go, oh, can't forget about this car, and you know this driver combo strong or whatever. So that's that's the great thing about it. Though, even though it's sort of you just look at the recent form and last year's win and stuff, and you go, oh, triple eight. You know, it's going to be very hard to beat, but. There's a lot of a lot of quality cars and quality drivers and Team 18, your you name check there for sure. I mean, Mark Winterbottom, Michael Crusoe in one car, Scott Pye, James Golding in the other. Um, even between those two cars, who's going to come out on top? Um, James Golding was actually with, with Winterbottom last year and he's moved over and I think that's possibly the slightly stronger car. Um, Golding was very good in the race last year if you really looked, looked at those lap times um, and... Yeah, Team 18 were, were quick at Bathurst in February. Uh, they tend to go better in the races than they do in quali, which means uh, a 1,000k race should theoretically suit them. But, um, yeah, we, we sort of won't know until we get into the into the weekend. And really, the, for me, the biggest sort of wild card, the biggest unknown is what these Kelly Grove cars are going to do. What's your sort of read on where they sit in all this? Oh, who knows? I don't think I don't necessarily know if they know not to be too rude about it, but you know there were times I remember sitting with Dave Reynolds uh, in Darwin just after they qualified on the back row of the grid, him and Andre Heimgartner on pace, on nothing but pace, didn't miss anything, didn't you know get their timing wrong, just had no speed. You just don't really know, and that was a few weeks after Andre had gone out and driven away from the field, you know, in damp conditions or wet conditions uh, at the Ben Motorsport Park to take his first win, so. Um, yeah, like absolute wild cards. Who knows where they're going to end up? You know, if there's some weather around and it looks like there very much could be, um, suddenly like Dave Reynolds and Luke Yildon, that's a really, really strong pairing because those cars seem, you know, when it's a bit cooler and it's a bit wet, those cars seem to go pretty good. Suddenly they're in the hunt, you know. They're, they're absolutely uh, in the hunt. Andre Heimgartner, he proved he can go out there and do the job um, when it rains. We know that Matt Campbell is like – a very, very good driver, not overly experienced in supercars, but obviously has bucket loads of talent, can definitely get get the job done, um, particularly, again, if it is a bit wet. You know, he'll know how to slide around and, and, and he's doing enough racing in Europe now, so we've had that experience. So, yeah, that, like, they're, they're, just, they're just wild cards. Like, you, you honestly you honestly don't know. Have you got any, any answers on where we might see those KGR cars pop out in the field? It's a big test, obviously. This is the end of the second season for them with Mustangs and to see where they're at in terms of horsepower on a big track and, and also fuel economy. That engine program was brand new at the start of last year, so they are probably a bit behind even once they got to the October race. But we've had another more than 12 months now, so we'll see where they fit in. I think it's important with, with this team to point out that um, you know the big headlines around them in the last sort of month was David Reynolds missing those two SMP rounds with the vaccination exemption issue. Uh, but that actually helps them going to Bathurst because Luke Yalden ended up doing two full rounds 
And for a co-driver to have that much recent experience in the car he's going to be racing in the 1000 is a big bonus for them. So it'd be a mm. massively, I think you can agree, it'd be a massively Reynolds thing to do to have all that storm go on and then just come out the other side and do something absolutely amazing at Bathurst and just, <laughs> just blitz everyone in the wet or something like that. So as you say, the cars have been good in the wet. Andre um, got that win. And uh, it'd be interesting if Matt Campbell had a horror run with Triple Eight in that wet 2017 um, Bathurst 1000. Oh, that's true. Good point. But uh, he's clearly a very good racing car driver. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, he should go pretty well. And I think his development has obviously come on a lot since then as well. You know, his career has progressed rapidly and, and changed a lot. It's going to be good to see him back in a car, actually, and sort of. Um, see where he sort of lines up. You know, it's interesting when you look at drivers that don't have a lot of supercars experience but are just very good race car drivers. Some don't get on with the cars at all um, and some come in and just uh, and just can get on with the job straight away. And, you know, I would imagine he's going to fall into the, into the latter group. Speaking of wild cards, Russell Ingle and Brock Feeney, well, Brock Feeney and Russell Ingle probably, if you're going to name it as, as primary and, and, and uh, say additional driver, Order. Um, how are they going to go? I, I just, I still feel like it's just such a shame we're not going to see the Ingle Murph shootout. Like it was going to be fascinating to see where those guys sort of lined up against each other. I don't know. I was, it was something I was looking forward to. It's, it's a shame we're not going to see that. How, how do you see the wild card bearing in general across Bathurst Week? Well, yeah, they, they would have been the headline acts, uh, Murph and, and Russell Ingle, and. Still, Russell will probably get the most uh, media attention in this uh, in this car at Bathurst. Um, you know, he's he's been able to do the three test days, um, but it's sort of one thing to get near the pace at QR, and and obviously another one to not only be a respectable pace, but be able to do it through whole stints at Bathurst. So, yeah, that's that's a big question mark how he's actually going to go. But you sort of feel at the end of the day there that. Um, you know, Triple Eight, Roland Dane, no deal. He wouldn't have committed to it, no matter how much financial sense it made. If if fundamentally he didn't think Russell could do it, so um, yeah, the the real the real attention probably for the likes of us because of the fact that Brock Feeney is going to replace Jamie Winkup next year is is looking at how he goes. Um, you could kind of look at it two ways, but I feel that this is a great opportunity for him to test himself against the lead drivers with relatively Less pressure. You know, he's, he's kind of playing with house money this weekend. Like, he's not in a Red Bull car with the expectation of winning, but he can go out there. And people are talking about, like, him making the shootout and stuff like that. And I, I don't know if... Russell's talking about him making the shootout. Well, I was listening to a very good podcast called the uh, V8 Sleuth uh, Podcast, powered by Repco. And uh, there was even talk <laughs> about him being on the podium at the end of the race, which, uh, which would be amazing. But I think we do have to keep the expectations a bit in check. I mean... You know, Brock was out-qualified yeah. by his teammate Angelo Mazuris at Bathurst in Super 2 in Feb. So um, the, the strength maybe is, isn't actually going to be the outright speed, but with Brock, he's, he has shown great maturity in um, what we've seen so far, including in the 1000 at Bathurst last year where he co-drove with James Courtney and and they made the top 10 uh, at the end of the race. So, yeah, I think just no mistakes, just just get the, get the miles, get the experience and uh, then prepare for next year. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's the hard thing when you talk about making the shootout, and that was a beautiful bit of media work by Russell back whenever it was. I think it was like that was like back in July or August or whatever it was. They had a 
an ordinary test day. Well, not ordinary as in no good, but it was just a just a bog standard test day at Queensland Raceway. And then, you know, end of day quotes, and he says, Oh, Brock's going great. He's going to make the shootout at Bathurst. Brilliant. Turn nothing into a into a story and a very good one. Um, but it's the thing is with the shootout at Bathurst, to make the shootout, you have to stop someone else making the shootout, you know? And we go back through all those cars we've already talked about and all those lead drivers, and you talk about the fact that Tim Slade could make the shootout, you know? Is Nick Perkett really not going to make the shootout? Can you know, who who does he knock out? That 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 sort of is where the question becomes. I really hope um, for Brock that, you know, I think a great weekend is qualifying reasonably well, let's say just outside the shootout and just having a quiet weekend of punching away and getting some experience and, and not doing anything, um, you know, anything that actually grabs too many headlines because obviously there is a lot of pressure on him and there are big question marks about, you know, how is he going to go in his rookie season driving for the biggest and best team in the sport, you know, so it's kind of if he, you know, if he's if he qualifies too far down the order, which is completely plausible because it's a tough field and there's not many bad cars and there's not many bad drivers, particularly when you're up against the primary drivers, um, then, you know, people are going to say, well, hang on, is this guy really up to it? So, you know, I, 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 like, I like Russell's quick thinking in terms of grabbing some headlines by talking about shootouts and stuff, but... Um, I think qualifying anywhere in the top half of the field will be an exceptional performance, and even just below that, that's kind of that's kind of par in that equipment for the experience he's got, and that's how that's how it kind of it it, it should be um, it should be seen. Who's your who's your um, co-driver to watch at Bathurst uh, at Bathurst this year, Stefan? Yeah, I feel just to put the full stop on the on the Brock Feeney stuff that um, if Brock does make the shootout, probably both Red Bull cars are on the front row, and you can throw out three of our five uh, contenders from the top of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, talking about very good point. The co-driver we probably haven't spoken about a lot uh, in this so far is actually Tony D'Alberto. and I, I'll sort mm-hmm. of say he's the one to watch, not because he's going to go out and do something spectacular, but because he's really gone under the radar the last few years at DJR Team Penske in Fabian Coulthard's car, and he's, he's done a really good job. He's been fast enough. He can save fuel, all those good co-driver things, and obviously you don't get asked back year after year at Penske's if, uh, if you can't do the job. So clearly he's very eager to go well. I mean, he's he organised off his own back the Super 2 drive with Eggleston's at um, Sydney Motorsport Park, which... Um, you know, financially and all of that, it's not that easy to do. You need to put a fair bit of work in to get the funding required to do something like that. But uh, clearly, he felt he needed to get the uh, get the miles and the the recent supercars race experience to do that. So, yeah, this this year he's just going to be in the spotlight more because he is in the DJR car that's expected to contend for the win. So, it's it's a great thing for him. Obviously, this is really his chance. Like he's going to go up there with a decent shot of winning the race. He, he was third there with Fabian in 2017, but um, this, yeah, this is his best shot. Absolutely. No, it'll be fascinating to see. I mean, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. He's capable of um, of doing of doing the job. It's interesting, you know, you, you sort of, you, you talked earlier in the show about how important it is to have the co-driver that, um, you know, can really get on with the job because if you lose that track position, it can be very, very hard um, to get back. But, you know, it, the easiest way to lose positions is by making mistakes, 
you know, silly mistakes are what are going to cost you position because it is hard to overtake. Obviously, you know, there's factors with opening up windows for pit stops where people can jump you and this and that. But, you know, someone like Tony, more than capable to drive the car as fast as it needs to go to maintain its position um, and not make any mistakes because, you know, guys aren't going to be dive bombing you from miles back, you know, other co-drivers. You just got to be able to hold your own there. So, I sort of feel like that's a job he can definitely do, but I agree totally. It's going to be right in the spotlight this year because you would think that car is going to be right up there on pace. I'm going to go, for my co-driver to watch, I'm going to go with uh, Zach Best just because he's the only rookie in the field. Is that right? You're, I, I always feel bad going up against sleuth personnel on anything stats related. Am I, am I correct there? You are correct. I would have uh, made a hell of a noise if you were wrong. I would have immediately yelled, "Stop the recording!" and uh, that's written over it. I know. I know you would have. You would have greatly enjoyed any uh, opportunity to talk about me being wrong. Yeah, look, only rookie in the field, so that's kind of. I don't know. It feels kind of unique. We normally have a couple more. I think again, maybe wrong, Um, but. and, like, great opportunity for him. He, he, he did reasonably well in the additional driver session um, the other week. I guess it's interesting, you know, he's kind of maybe a bit lower profile than um, than a lot of the other signings in the field, particularly as we've gone to this one enduro format where experience um, becomes a major contributing factor when, when, when teams are choosing drivers. Um, but he kind of has lots of experience because he's in a – Tickford car in Super 2, you know, week in, week out. So um, I kind of feel like it'll be interesting to see where he sort of stacks up in the co-driver rankings because those laps, particularly at the moment, they can be um, they can be, can be critical. And, you know, he's driven a Tickford car at Bathurst this year already and he'll drive one again um, in Super 2 across the Bathurst weekend. So, yeah, I- interesting opportunity for him to kind of put himself on the uh, on the radar a little bit. Yeah, and he won that Super 2 round at the start of the year as well, which should be said. Um, so that'll give him some confidence, and I'm sure it gave Tickford some confidence to actually put him in because we should remember that uh, Alex Premer, the 2019 Bathurst winning co-driver with Scott McLaughlin, was meant to to be in this car alongside Jack LeBrock. But again, the difficulties of international travel ruled him out, and, and Zach Best got uh, thrown in not too long ago uh, as the only rookie in the field. So, um, yeah, a big opportunity for him and just another interesting thing to look out for. One of the one of the things that's going to be really different about Sunday this year, or a little different, is they're just moving this start time later and later, and they're aiming for a for a twilight finish. Um, what's your What's your feeling on that? Do you think it's a good move? I think uh, I think the theory of it is great, and you know, if it all works, it could be this spectacular twilight finish. You know, fifteen minutes before the news starts, and there's massive TV audiences and all that sort of stuff, but. It just feels like an unnecessary risk. This is the the only race we have with no time certainty. You know, I, I we don't know what's happening with the weather. There's been question marks over over. Well, the weather in New South Wales has been pretty horrendous for weeks now. Um, I just it just feels like an unnecessary risk, and I understand the reasons for doing it. But I'm just surprised that there wasn't an overriding sense of hey, do we really need to do this? Like, is the is the risk of the race being washed out or running long or red flagged or something, and then suddenly we do have to cut down the distance and then, you know, there is this big primetime audience tuning in to see some sort of uh, 
stoppage or complication with the race or something that kind of compromises the race. To me, I I I just I don't fully understand if it's worth the risk. I guess. What do you think? Is it worth the risk? Well, it's one of those ones. I mean, in total, I, I don't like it because it sort of breaks with the tradition. It gets further away from what I sort of think of Bathurst being. I mean, I wasn't a kid who got up early on Christmas morning, but I would get up super early to watch the morning warm-up on Sunday at Bathurst. Um, and I think now, like, you know, the warm-up's sort of out to, to 9.30 or whatever the whole sort of day is scheduled is, is pushed back. And the race itself, we should make the point, it's 12.15 p.m. local time. So an afternoon start. I think when you, when you actually break down... Um, the the sort of things that would have to go wrong for the race still to be going and run out of light, it is incredibly unlikely. You would need track break up 2014 spec disasters. It's just based on a few safety cars. It definitely won't be an issue. Um, so I think that sort of the irrational feeling of oh, we, we you know we're, are we going to run into trouble here is is way bigger than the actual issue. But um, have you been paying no attention to the last two years, Stefan? There is crazy stuff happening in the world. <laughs> Just when you think it's the, nothing that crazy could happen. Jeez, I don't know. I don't know, mate. True, and it is Bathurst. But, uh, yeah, I think the the main difference is probably just going to be that uh, the likes of me will be trudging around the paddock after dark at the end of the race uh, getting stories rather than it being a nice evening light. Mm, well, it will still be mid-afternoon over here in Western Australia, so... Um, It'll be. I'll still be getting up early for warm up. Don't worry about that. It'll still be nice and early for me. Um, it's you know talking about breaking tradition and things that are different about this year's Bathurst. This is the six day bumper Bathurst support categories coming out of your ears. There's just millions of them. I had to go through and write out the schedule um, for an SEO story the other day, and it took me hours and hours and hours to run through every single session that's going on and just when you think you've got all the support categories you get to Wednesday and there's a new one starting um what are you what are you looking forward to seeing outside of supercars the most up there uh this week I think um S5000 for a lot of people to uh, see those V8 powered open wheelers in anger around Bathurst for the first time is going to be uh, pretty highly anticipated and part of that is uh, just how fast they go. The fact that the category hasn't actually talked this up in the build-up about what the lap times are going to be and just how quick they are actually speaks volumes, doesn't it? Like they're a little bit cautious about not making a big deal because uh, if these things mm. are pretty close to uh, two minutes uh, flat, we're talking, um, that's going to be <laughs> it's going to be pretty exciting. So that for me, like there's a lot of great support categories on, but um, – yeah, we're definitely watching that one with interest. Yeah, I think so. That's uh, that is going to be hard to go past as a spectacle. You would think it'd be interesting. You talked about James Golding and how good his form's been. He's going to have quite a quite a sort of job uh, switching up between. I assume he is doing he is doing S five thousand as well. I assume this. this all right, Stefan's looking very confused. Yeah, what you can't <laughs> see, listeners, is me uh, really shrugging the shoulders <laughs> at the moment. But we'll uh, we'll double check that. See if you can add that in afterwards. If- if he is uh, if he is doing both, that's uh, that's a going to be you know that's, he's going to have to retrain his brain on a few things, hopping from one car to the other, and and hopefully he can sort of prize his eyes back to some sort of normal size after his uh, first session out 
in the S5000s. I think um, there's a bit of interest around TCR uh, as well, just because Chaz Mostert is in the box seat to, to wrap up that title. And there, there was kind of this change to the schedule and a race brought back to the Wednesday evening, I think it is, for, for TCR. That means he can, can actually have a crack at, at securing the title. So I think he's going to do the first race there. Um, you know, I think mathematically he doesn't have to do too much to wrap up the title and then he can he can park the Audi and just focus on the Commodore for the rest of that weekend. So obviously, you know, any time you've got sort of some sort of exceptional circumstances like that where a driver's doing one race, he's really only got one chance to wrap up that title before he goes and focuses on something else, then that's going to be kind of interesting. So uh, I think that'll be one to um, to keep an eye on as well. It's an unusual sort of build up to your uh, unusual build up to your great race weekend, like potentially winning a major Australian national championship, uh, just as the little entree to, to the big weekend. It's uh, something quite different. All right. Well, as we covered, the Bathurst One Thousand is Jamie Winkup's last race as a full time driver. I grabbed the Supercars Goat for a quick chat about the impending end of his spectacular career. Announcing your retirement is one thing. But now it's kind of like it's actually here. You know, how weird is it to think that in the very near future you won't be a full-time professional race car driver anymore? Yeah, you're right. It is getting a little stranger as we're getting closer to that that, that D-Day, which is um, Bathurst Sunday on, uh, what is it, the 4th of, uh, 4th of December. But yeah. um, I've had plenty of time to, to obviously make the decision and I've, I've made the decision and it is the, it is the right call, no, no doubt. I I read things like uh, round one Newcastle next year, and it it, 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 it hits me. I'm like, oh, gee, I'd love to be driving their bus. Um, overall, I know I've made the right decision. On them. Yeah, yeah, Bathurst will be the um, be the last one as a, as a full time driver. What are you going to miss most about being a race car driver? Is it just as simple as driving the racing cars? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, it's just literally going out there and battling your mates and trying to get to the finish line first. It's it's the it's the battles. It's the you know it's the it's the fifty fifty lunge that, that that comes off. It's the it's the it's the shootout lap. It's the big quality lap where you hang it on the line, smack a couple of mirrors off, and get to the end and go. Whew, I've got that lap out, you know. So I'm probably going to have to find a replacement for that somewhere along the line. I'm not sure where, where that'll be. Uh, and I've got to make sure I don't hurt myself trying to do it. But um, <laughs> it's those things that are going to, I'm going to miss the most without doubt. I've been having a bit of a read of, of your new book that's that's coming out this week. And, and there's a little bit in there about, you know, when you were famously let go uh, by Gary Rogers after your rookie season, you know, and that's a, it's a pretty tough read when you go through that, you know, and here you are retiring as the, the supercars goat, like given the way that your career started, that's pretty remarkable how it's kind of ending, right? I, I think so, but you know, as everyone says, it's the, it's the tough times that make that that make um, that make the journey. You know, it's it's what you it's what you learn in those tough times is um is, you know, and if you if you use it correctly, then um, then you can use it to your advantage. But um, yeah, it's been it's been quite publicised. The you know my acting or dumping from from TRM um, in after my first year in 2003 but um, I go on to explain it a little bit a little bit better and um, overall you know how thankful I was for the opportunity straight out of Formula Ford in in the main game um, mm. so yeah no, I couldn't be couldn't be happier of, of the opportunity and it certainly made part of um, of me of you know the the rest of my supercar journey 
earlier this year, you know, even before Brock Feeney was announced as, as the guy who's going to replace you, you talked about, I think it was in Darwin, you talked about how you'd always urge team owners to give young drivers, you know, a couple of seasons when they come into the sport. Is that an example of how your own experience as a driver, even these very early experiences, you know, can potentially shape how you'll go about being a team boss in the future? Uh, definitely. Like I'm a big believer of if you're going to take on a, a, a young guy or girl, give them, give them, give them the full opportunity. Don't, um, don't cut them short halfway. And, and cutting short halfway is, is only after 12 months, you know, like, um, if you've, if you've just come out of a, a lower category, it just, it takes 12 months to learn all the circuits, to learn the car, to get, to, to get to know how your engineer works, your mechanics, um, so you know you can't expect too much of a of a, of a young kid um, in their first year, but certainly by the second year they need to be starting to show some promise. So um, I that that's my belief. That's what I that's what I felt. Um, I should have um, I would have been very very grateful to, to have got that after my first season. So um, yeah, we're going to take Brock on, but we're certainly certainly going to give him uh, multiple years to get up to speed and not to expect too much in the first year. I guess you'll be getting up to speed in a new job a little bit as well. Do you feel ready to make that step into the uh, into the to the big chair at, at Banyo there? I, I do, I do. I'm very um, respectful of the fact that it's a huge job and I got massive shoes to fill. It's um, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be one of the biggest challenges of my life. But um, I don't I don't steer away from uh, from a bit of hard work. You know, that's um, that's something I've never done. It's, I'm not going to start now. Um, and there's, there's plenty, plenty of reasons why I'll fail and there's plenty of reasons why I won't do a good job, but um, I'm ignoring all that. I'm backing myself and um, I've, I've got, there's about 40, 40 plus teammates who we've shared a journey together for a long time at, um, at AAA. Now uh, the total number is about 70, but um, there's certainly a good 40 that have been there for a long time. And uh, I'm certainly not going to let them down. You know, their, their, their livelihoods are on the line, and um, and, and their opportunity to, um, to to make a living out of out of going racing um, is certainly somewhat in my hands. And I'm going to make sure I don't don't let them down. Now, you, you don't have to answer this, but I, I want to ask it. Like throughout your era of dominance at AAA, there has been from some corners of the fan base. This idea that you're arrogant or you're a whinger, I'm sure you've you've at some point heard some of the noise that's come from, you know, often the other side of whatever yep. brand divide that you're on. I've never understood it because in 15 odd years of dealing with you, you've been nothing but probably one of the most normal blokes <laughs> in the world. You know, like <laughs> yeah, I, it is you. honestly, it is honestly, stu- it, it stumps me as uh, how, where this thing is. Do you have any idea where it's come from? Do you have any idea how this? You know, reputation is the wrong word, but how this sort of sense from some some corners of the fan base ever came about because it really has me stumped. Yeah, it, it's a combination combination of a few, when I, when I think about it and analyze it, which I don't normally do, but um, yeah, I was pretty. I was pretty. I, I look back on interviews I did in the early days, and for I sort of almost cringed myself a little bit. I was just a I was a young kid, a little bit immature, and. I just had one goal and just go out there and race that car as hard as I could and didn't um, – in some way, I almost did a bad job in, in the press, hoping that they didn't ask me – hopefully they didn't ask me to, uh, to, to say any more. You know, I thought if I do a bad job, they'll, they'll leave me alone. But yeah. um, So there, there's a bit of that. There's also the, the tall poppy syndrome here in, here in Australia. Like I was, I was, I was um, somewhat loved when I was winning my first few races – 
back in 07 when I was the underdog. Um, but then Australians, we just love we love shooting down our uh, anyone who's on a bit of a run and doing doing good things, certainly in sport or politics. We love smashing him back down, <laughs> back down to earth. <laughs> it's just something about the Australian makeup, um, which is what it's all about. But yeah, hey, I could have um, could could have done things a little bit differently in the early days. I certainly don't regret anything I did. Um, you know, I'd like to think when it's all said and done that um, there's there's plenty of people that have sat on the hill over the years um, and it just enjoyed the enjoyed. Uh, me giving it everything I've possibly got inside the race car, you know, and whether that was a win, whether that was run mid-pack, whether that was I end up in the steward's room or lost a wheel or, or ran out of petrol, whatever it was, I just hope everyone enjoyed me just trying to give it absolutely everything to get to the end and some days it went well, some days it didn't. Yeah, well, you've sort of half touched on it, but, you know, Bathurst is a bit of a prickly one for you given some of the near misses you've had there. People do seem to forget that you've also won the thing four times sometimes, I think, when they talk about Jamie Winkup and the Bathurst 1000. But what would a win there to round out your – well, well, would a win there to round out your career be the ultimate sort of uh, redemption at Mount Panorama? Oh, I think so. it would be, be massive, of course, and <laughs> I've got a real chance. Like my, you know, I'm, I'm still with the best team in pit lane, and um, the cars are very, very quick at the moment. So, um, we're, we're, I won't think about any of that. I won't think about the numbers or what it would actually mean. I'll just make. I'll just work on the on the the inputs I've got to do to um to be as competitive as possible. But it would certainly be um it would certainly be a very nice feeling. That's for sure. Will this be your last Bathurst One Thousand, or we're going to see you back next year? Um. If if I was a betting man, I'd say no. I'd say I'll, I'll we'll have a crack next year. But it's all just going to come down to the workload um, and how I handle that first year as um, as managing director of T8. You know, and if I felt I was going to let uh, let my teammates down um, by by competing by driving myself, then I'll, I'll certainly I'll be the first person to put my hand up and say oh, there's a better person for the job. But um, you know, one one year out of full time competition, I still feel like I'll be as competitive as any other co driver. So um, right now, I'd, um, I'd I'm hoping to to be on the grid for um, for 2022. If that does happen, what's the plan with your mate Craig Lowndes? I can't imagine you'd want to just let him go out on the driver market. Could there be some more wild card work in in Triple H's future? Like I oh, hear he goes pretty good with sponsors. Old CL. <laughs> CL's part of the. Um, He's part of the what do you call it? The wallpaper, at, the at fabric. TA. Yeah, the fabric. Yeah. yeah, he is. Um, he is. He. We certainly want to look after Lounsey, and while he's still got, um, he's still got a few few years left in him as driving wise. So we'll do absolutely everything we can to make sure he's on the grid in a in a T eight car. And um, the obvious one is to um, is, is to run a wild card if we can. So we'll 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 work hard on that. And um, once we know what we're doing, we'll um, we'll send it. You know. And you can read all about Jamie's remarkable career in his new autobiography, Drive of a Lifetime, which is available via V8 Sleuth. Stefan, it kind of feels weird to award a Castrol Star of the Week before the festivities kick off at Mount Panorama. So I reckon this week we're going to do our Castrol Tips of the Week. So I want two tips from you. The first one I want is your Bathurst 1000 winner. And the second one... Is your roughie for a race win? Who could pop up and just steal Bathurst glory this week? I think when you're talking about race winning tips, you know, I'm pretty conservative with this stuff. I'm a swim between the flags type bloke, so I can't go past that 97 car. I think Shane Van Gisbergen, Garth Tander, 
Gas a rock solid co-driver. Shane has been in irresistible form. And the thing we haven't talked about a lot in this pod is is the weather predictions. We'll probably leave leave that for the meteorologists. But uh, if if it is uh, changeable, damp, wet, whatever, um, Shane is uh, is pretty darn good when it gets a little slippery. So yeah, I can't go past them as outright favourites. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you can't. You you just can't. There's no reason for them not to win the race. It's just impossible to actually sit down and name a reason why they're not going to win. It's just too good a pairing. Obviously, there, there will be reasons along the course of a thousand kilometer race for them not to win. But sitting here right now, picking your favourite, you just you can't go past them. What I will say is that I'm not necessarily convinced they're going to start from pole. I think that if it's dry, obviously you know, weather in the shootout could throw all of this straight out the window. But if it's dry, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if Anton uh, goes and sticks uh, the number 11 car on pole just because he is very good at Bathurst. Remember, you know, when he rocked up in 2018 as a rookie with Erebus, he had, hadn't been to Bathurst before. He hadn't done it as a co-driver before. Uh, and he went and qualified, I think it was third in the shootout, and that was when he he almost threw the thing off at the last corner as well, and I, he might have even snuck into a three. I think it was like a four-one or something with a with a decent sort of mistake at the last corner. So he is very very quick there. They're obviously in fantastic um, form with that car. He was on was he on pole there earlier this year? Am I right? Am I remembering things correctly? I think correctly? he topped a quali session, but then he didn't top the shootout, yes. so he didn't get the pole. All right. Well, he's going to make amends for that, and he's going to go fastest in the shootout this year. All right. Give us your roughie. Who you got? Well, I think putting those top five cars that we talked about right at the start uh, aside, it's the Will Brown, Jack Perkins, Erebus, Commodore. I think uh, based on the form that they've been showing and Jack's ability as a co-driver, they are the the smoky. Mm. I'm going to go with the uh, with the number eight. I'm going to go with Nick Perkett. And Dale Wood, um, just because I don't know, that's just a it's a good pairing as well, you know. And I just think that Nick's the sort of the sort of dogged, determined driver that's going to go out there and and just fight all day, and uh, and that could really leave him in a, in a good space if if things fall their way. I feel like you know he's someone who can put the car in a position to um, to snatch a win. Look, that'll do us. Happy Bathurst week to everybody. Enjoy the great race on Sunday. Give our pod a little review and a few stars uh, if you want to, wherever you do your podcast listening, particularly if you've got nice things to say. Um, if you don't like us, just keep that to yourself. And we'll be back with more Castro Motorsport news next week. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.